Hey everyone, welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Yo, yo, yo. Hi there. Thought I'd mix it up for you, Shan. Thanks so much. I was <laughs> inspired by your entry. The, the face of disgust. I wish show. I could see. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, not really. Uh, uh, today on the show, we are going to talk about the psychology in one hour photo. This is a movie from 2002 that stars Robin Williams. To me, kind of an underrated movie of the time. I know it has a lot of 2002 vibes to it, but I do feel like it was well done personally. It's interesting because it's it's listed as a drama thriller because it's not it's more of a study on this one character, which mm-hmm. I'm sure is why Robin did it because it's his performance is so nuanced and specific as a lot of his performances were. And I imagine because it was so unlike, I guess, other things he'd played is maybe one of the reasons why he took it. But it was written and directed by Mark Romanek, who I thought did a lovely job with the color and the different pieces of it. And I was reading the IMDb description of it, mm-hmm. and I don't feel like it does it justice. I'm going to read it anyway. And it's, you guys, it's, it's a forgotten film. I know. I, and you guys tell me what you think. <laughs> you can watch this film on Hulu if you have it, and you can rent it in other places. But the description for IMDb, like the log line, it says, a mentally unstable photo developer targets an upper middle class family after his obsession with them becomes more sick and disturbing than any of them could imagine. Now, log lines in Hollywood are obviously meant to say like, hey, come watch this movie. It's going to be exciting and thrilling. Yes, because it's 2002. It's, I mean, it's not an art film in the sense that at all. It's got a beginning, middle, and end, and it you know, it's, it ends in a gripping conclusion and a climax and all of that. But to me, that description doesn't really do its justice because I think that this is much more of a character study and... I think it taps into cultural taboos in people's characters and psychology and some of the reasons why uh, Robin's character was the way he was and some of the things he did. I just think it's a much more nuanced, interesting film than, and I've read a lot of the reviews of it too from the time and it's very strange. (laughs) What did the review say? Well, it's strange how the review, the one thing I noticed about the reviews is that they project a lot of who they kind of want Robin Williams character to be rather than who he actually was. Like there was this one review where they were talking about how, you know, each of his customers would look at him strangely because he was such a creepy guy and, you know, he would give them candy or this or that. And I'm like, he doesn't give anybody candy ever in this film and actually he's very very good at his job he's not a child molester no he's very good at his job and all of the interactions with his customers in the store are all like they like him he remembers them he's it's actually the only place in his whole life where he's extroverted and talks to people and is friendly and like he puts on that persona of being good at his job and then is able to talk and communicate and and all of that I just think that the cultural piece of this film meaning our ideas around loneliness mm-hmm. and our fears of our own loneliness 
make us project onto people who are alone or or appear lonely this sort of like that they don't that they're odd or they don't deserve love or because he does not appear and he doesn't we know this in the film because he doesn't appear to have a community he has no family he has no kids like we project onto that that he is somehow wrong or bad for wanting to connect with his customers like it's his only way he connects with people it's the only place he doesn't feel lonely and so in the film when he ultimately is not able to work at that job anymore that becomes the big trigger for like the the movie climax of like how he devolves and and i see that more as a character thing in that it's the one place he was able to figure out his loneliness and not be so lonely and not be such a outcast. And when that's taken away from him, I can understand why that would be the trip to act with, with his moral compass, but also against his moral compass. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree with all that. I also think that you really have to be looking for the underpinnings of his own sexual trauma that Mm -hmm. isn't discussed explicitly throughout the film there's one moment where he has this reaction that's out of context of what's going on in that situation and then you realize like oh he's a victim right yeah he definitely and, reads like a victim yeah and so i think that going with what you're saying too is oftentimes when people have childhood trauma we assign a pathology to that as well. So he was molested, so therefore he must be a molestor Mm -hmm. or he must be acting out what happened to him. And really, he's essentially reacting to that trauma, not necessarily, these people, this family, these are all just the canvas to which he's sort of playing out the trauma. And I was looking up some ways to maybe help discuss and put some discussion around some of the early uh, attachment stuff. So we know he's, yeah, absolutely. You know, we know he, from the very little that we get, we know that he was sexually abused and that he was forced to take explicit photos and things like that when he was young. And we get that, um, or they at least allude to that. So we get some idea that, that that's what one drew him to this work as a way of maybe trying to, master that trauma by going, well, I'm now going to be in charge of developing these photos. So there's that piece. Then there's the idea of like, you know, if we're looking at this from an object relations perspective, so for folks who aren't familiar with like Melanie Klein's work and object relations theory, so children are, you know, born into what we call like a paranoid schizoid position, right? And basically all that, I'm not going to go into depth of what that is, but he never really moved out of that paranoid anxiety of the all bad. Um, And he never knew how to really integrate the whole of like being able to hold good and bad traits. And so he projects all of these things that he experienced. And I'm oversimplifying this, of course. But he, you know, is projecting all of these things that he experienced as a child onto all of these relationships now in his adult life. And he's not, it's all out of his awareness, but he's literally just trying to protect himself. His main anxiety is this paranoia that people are going to reject him or harm him. And he doesn't have the ability to kind of hold space for both. And that, I think that's very apparent through the film. Yeah. And I, I do like this film in that way that it is simplistic in a psychological sense in the way that it, 
explicates that idea of we are traumatized and then a significant stressor trips us into actively, physically acting out that trauma against others in a way that we feel in the moment is righteous and right because of our belief system and how we were created. And then others can see that, <laughs> what, what do you do? You know, that it's against sort of who we are or what they know of us. In other words, they know Sai to have this kind of harsh moral compass and he's acting out of that harsh moral compass to protect and save this woman and boy he's become obsessed with when he finds out that the husband has been cheating he feels and then he has his significant stressor which is getting fired from his job and then he finds out about the moral issue with the relationship and then because of his moral compass he then those two couple together and that's how he enacts his trauma and and i just think that's an adept way from a script writing perspective to have that plot arc and that character arc come together in the climax which is what you want in a good script so i do really feel like this is a forgotten sadly a forgotten movie with an amazing performance by he, Robin. He's amazing in this and con incredibly believable. And I agree with you that, you know, his defense mechanism is essentially he split that family. He saw the wife and the child is all good. And he saw the husband is all bad. And then desperately wanting to have had a family like that growing up and basically looking at this guy going, you fucking selfish bastard. Yeah. Like you had everything. I know. Like Kathy was saying, there's very few spots in this where we get concrete information about his childhood. But I will say that the only person he really tells it a little bit to is the boy. Mm -hmm. He goes and visits the son at like after a soccer game or whatever. And the whole time you're kind of sitting there going, oh, no, he's going to get caught. They're going to see him yeah. with this kid and think he's a molester or whatever. I'm like, oh, that would have been such a... Not a, a great way movie. to go. Yeah. yeah. That would have just been like, okay, here would've we are at the trope. Lifetime movie or something. Yeah. But, and not that that doesn't happen. It happens all the time. That's why we're so indoctrinated to seeing that in the movies right. all the time. But anyway, he's walking with this boy and he has a discussion with him and he says, you know, I was sick a lot as a kid and I was chubby and I wasn't very popular. I wasn't very athletic like you are. And, then they keep talking, and at one point they're talking about parents, and, and Robin's character says, you know, some parents neglect and abuse kids, and they make horrible demands on children that shouldn't be made of them. And so you get this idea, okay, that's where this is coming from for him. It's not like they're talking about a lot of specifics, but you definitely... The way the line's delivered, the way it's interjected when he's talking to the kid, because it's like he's talking to a friend, right? Because I imagine when his trauma happened, he was maybe around this boy's age or mm -hmm. a little younger, mm -hmm. and that's maybe when he lost all his friends, all his ability to socialize, as we often see with traumatized kids. So he's really talking to that boy like a peer. Mm -hmm. 
because a lot of what he's gone through is stuck back in there. Mm-hmm. You know, all the psychos of the 2000s <laughs> were, even in books, were like, they all wore gray and they were clean and they were fastidious. And, you know, the American psycho psycho. <laughs> yeah. And that this film has that. I like a lot of what this film did with color. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of white. With him, it's all very muted and gray and some pastels, you know, those like light blues, light pastels washed out. You know, his home is very empty and, you know, just signifying that his life is very empty. And then when you see pictures of her and the kids and the house and the guy, the husband, it's all like color and (laughs) Christmas photos and all this fun and toys and action and energy. And you just, every time you're with him, you feel that palpable loneliness he has. And he's like looking at all these pictures of a family yeah, and the, mm-hmm. kids, you know. When he gets uh, arrested, that scene where mm-hmm. he wants to see the pictures, you know, they, they lead you to believe that he's going to be looking at something obscene. I love that. And he opens it up and it's just pictures of the house. I love it. I mean, because it's the director or the writer's way of going, you just keep projecting onto this guy. You know, you're wanting to see him as a psychopath and he just isn't. If anything, he might be more borderline, but he's mm-hmm. not He's not a sociopath. No. He's unwell and he's traumatized. He's unwell, he's traumatized, and he got, he got trauma triggered mm-hmm. and enacted some things. But then you find out that what he was doing to them was really their perception of what he was doing. That's right. And it wasn't what he was, it was, it was the perception he wanted them to have, mind you, because he, he wanted to punish this husband. Mm -hmm. But in actuality, because of that harsh moral compass that he has, he wouldn't be able to actually do that thing. And Mm -hmm. the great thing about Robin's performance is that when he is doing things that feel very uncomfortable and against sort of who he is and are acting from his trauma, which is actually guys like that's how it feels when you're acting from your trauma. We've all got little T trauma at least. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you say things or do things and you go like, why did I just yeah, where have I felt this before? Where did I just, why did I just say that to that person? Or yeah. why did I do that? It's like, and you kind of look at it and you're like, that's not like me. And it, and it's that acting out of that trauma. Oh. And and that's what he's doing only, of course, in a big movie way. Yeah, no, he's <laughs> so good in this. And I think that, uh, you know, he's, this performance is a perfect example of less is more. Mm-hmm. Because he didn't try, you know, when people try to play crazy, it just doesn't work. And he wasn't, crazy he was affected he was traumatized he was socially anxious and like you said he thrived in his job because it was the one area in his life he felt in control and he felt proud of and gave him purpose and we know that when we're working with people who are at risk for anything whether it's to harm themselves or to harm someone else or are triggered easily by things that we really want to help them find purpose and structure Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. With purpose, that's where people can start to feel 
um, self-efficacy again, and they can feel confidence and they can feel motivation and all of those things. And that job was what Shannon's saying is like, that job was his protective factor. And when that job was removed from him, he had zero protective factors. Mm -hmm. And so when we're looking at it from a risk assessment lens, how do we lower risk? We up the protective factors and we lower the risk factors. And what happened was is he literally had the rug ripped from under him and any protective factor that was there was now gone. And his distress tolerance wasn't there. He didn't have a support system. He had no other purpose. And he's looking at this family going, y'all went, this guy, you know, Michael Varton's character, the father, like you went and fucked up something that, you know, you don't even deserve that I want and that I want <laughs> and always wanted. Mm-hmm. So, well, the idea of it anyway, I was really struck by, you know, he wouldn't have known what to do with himself in a relationship like that no. anyway. And, and we kind of see that. He may have been relating to the son though, too. Yeah. I'm, that's like what I was saying before, for mm-hmm. sure. I, I completely agree. And I, and I also believe that what we look at when we look at people who end up stalking, who end up with obsessive thoughts, who end up with fixations, anxious fixations to relieve their own stress. It's more the idea of her. Of course. The idea of the son, the obsessive thoughts and the, he's got a whole wall in his apartment of all the pictures that he's made of her he's basically gotten extra copies of all the pictures that this mother brings in and that's ultimately what gets him fired which mm-hmm. i appreciate the plot there like that makes sense everything makes sense he would get fired for that if you figure if they figured it out and they did and then it sw- kind of switches to more like revenge stalking as opposed to fantasizing as being uncle Cy in this part of the family. Cause at first we don't even really believe that he wants to be like the husband. No, we don't think he wants to be the husband. His fantasies are more that he's a part of the family. Right. Meaning he's like not trying uncle to Cy. steal her. It's not yeah. sexual. No. And that might've been one of the reasons why this film, besides the fact that it was 2002, which was a, that was a strange decade for movies, but because it wasn't sexualized, it wasn't like a big performance, so like a dramatic performance. And we were used to Robin doing sort of like very extroverted big performances at the time. And this was much more subtle, much more stunning, actually. Like even in the cinematography and the writing, his performance, like there's just a few times when you're just so... I think he represents a lot of shadowy parts of all of us that loneliness that we can all feel that isolation that we can all feel i mean even if you look at the where the photo booth is in any store or where it used to be we don't have them anymore but it's like off to the side (laughs) isolated in his own little room he's always alone in the break room Mm -hmm. like it's the whole film just kind of gets at anyone who feels separate or other Mm -hmm. you can relate to him in some ways and when and when he gets fired the look on his face and he kind of like starts to cry but doesn't and like oh my god no you can't do this to me you know you just go like oh god Mm -hmm. it's the self-fulfilling prophecy that you see sort of unwinding in front of you Mm -hmm. i just know that there's this part of me there's this part of the viewer that you look at sigh and you think 
he's alone, he's left alone, he doesn't blend in. And because of that, his secret life and his fantasy life and his imagination grows and grows and grows and grows. Because the more we're alone and left alone and we don't have interaction with people, our illusions and our imageries grow, 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 and they become a much bigger part of our lives. And you would think like, oh, well, that's his fault because he's not socializing or whatever, you know, a more, a less astute psychologist might be like, well, you got to get out and socialize more. And so you're not, you know, more of a cognitive behavioral approach or what have you, which is not, it's not wrong. It's just that looking at it like he's actually alone and has taken space from the world because of what was done to him as a kid. And so it's more valuable to talk with him about loneliness and relate to him as a human and show that you are deeply curious and concerned and interested in him as a person and as an individual and grow him up in a way because mm -hmm. his psychology is so young and stuck in such a young place that like it would be more helpful to not use the blunt instrument of you got to get out more or whatever, which sure he does, but he doesn't know how to navigate that. So if you send him, if you give the prescription of, you know, join a meetup group or something and get out and conquer the social anxiety or whatever. I think if you give that kind of prescription, you're just going to have a guy go out and do those things, get more and more triggered and do more and more bad things mm -hmm. for sure. Because you just have to work with him in the room around growing him up and working with his loneliness and his otherness. And I just think he's really misread because I because I saw a lot in a lot of reviews that he was just like, you know, they call him a creep a lot. They call him a creep. They call him a psychopath or antisocial personality disorder. Like they're so off. Because if you really track that, it doesn't track at all. Like, no. but, but here it is. I mean, here's what it comes down to. And I say, I talk to my students about this all the time. If you are not assessing for trauma, you're not doing your job. Because at the end of the day, trauma explains a lot of things that can mimic or look like other things, but without that context, without fully understanding. And then also recognizing you don't even have to track that to realize that the man has a serious capacity for empathy. Oh yeah. He's he he ha, he feels deeply. This is not a reptilian calculated arrogant everything he's doing is is passive and reactive and it it couldn't be any further from someone with antisocial personality disorder, I think. I completely agree. I mean, here's the here's one key difference for me is what I, like what I was saying is that he's he's been left alone and he doesn't blend in. Right. And the psychopath doesn't want to. Right. That's but right. Psy wants to. So it's just it's a it's a it's a huge difference to me, but it might be a nuanced difference to an audience that Psy wants to blend in. Psy feels left out. That's he right. feels the loneliness and sadness. A psychopath doesn't That's right. Doesn't feel that. That's absolutely right. And so I think that it's easy to look at 
this from just the surface and be like, he's creepy. He's a stalker. He wanted to harm this family. Um, He was obsessed. He was not in touch with reality. There is no basis to any of those things. But I think that it's that is just an obvious choice for a Mm -hmm. lot of people watching you know, thrillers like this where it's like we have to we have to demonize uh, and make a monster out of this person, which takes us all the way back to classic horror and pathologizing the monster who really is often coming from a place of trauma. Yeah. And I feel like maybe this film was overlooked in some sense because it was a little bit too much like us and it wasn't enough like other like, oh, that's that thing that yeah. I'm, that's not me, yeah. you know, where that we like to go to the movies to see. This is a little bit more like genuine, like you might know this guy mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know, not with the not with the climactic ending necessarily. Right. But maybe there's just one quick thing I wanted to mention here at the end that I thought was the kind of dawned on me, you know, at the end when they're looking at the pictures of like the doorknob and the shower curtain and the stuff he really took pictures of. I was thinking to myself, wouldn't it be an interesting idea if the pictures he took, he actually took were the things that he actually were, was looking at as a kid when he was being traumatized. It's so possible. And those are those little Easter eggs that you would have to... Like, I just made that up in my head. Right, but, but I'm it's like, completely possible. But, like, from a psychological perspective, that would track so great. And a bathroom would make sense. It would track so well. So I'm going to give yeah. that to everyone <laughs> that those maybe let's 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 go with, you know, when Cy was being abused, often kids will... Uh, zone out and look at in adults too mm-hmm. and and look at small things because that's a grounding exercise that we all do as as animals uh, as like a human exercise from the uh, you know when they yeah. uh, when they give it to you as a blunt instrument they'll say like okay when you want to orient yourself just uh, look at five things in the room think of think of five nouns uh, mm-hmm. you know think of five different smells and that's that orienting thing and I feel like those pictures were that I well, don't know. And, and he was like, can I have my pictures now? Like th- those pictures meant something. That he wasn't fixing something in his house. Exactly. So yeah. he's in the police station and he's like, can I have my pictures to orient? And it was such a great bait and switch. And the way that he organizes, like too, the way that he, la- you know, you can tell he's like studying each photo mm-hmm. and you're right. It's like, it's like, oh. yeah. And I think every day at work was that for him with photos. It was a, a, a curative process, uh, for him every day looking at photos and when mm. that was taken away, you know, yeah, it all went to hell. Anyway, I, th- I think it's safe to say that we, we both recommend this movie if you're interested in any of what we discussed. And, and of course, if you want to see a great Robin Williams performance piece, please check it out. Thanks so much for listening to the show today. We'll be back at you on Friday with more. This has been an episode of terror talk. My name is Shannon and I'm Kathy sleep safe, everyone. <laughs>